Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. And the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us are these people aren't just salespeople. I think they're all great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I want to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, I have an awesome guest on the podcast today. Um, I'm really excited, this guy. This guy, when whenever you see him online or on a video, always smiling, always laughing, uh, always, you know, e- you know, emanates positivity and kindness. Um, but that's not the full story of, of this person, and I want him to dig into that. And, you know, this guy, um, you know, has had a pretty awesome career in sales. It, it wasn't, you know, something where he, um, you know, uh, graduated school and jumped right into a sales career and rose his way up. He really kind of started with nothing, um, you know, almost like uh, midway into his career. And now he's the director of sales execution and evolution at JB Sales. Um, he publishes the Say What Sales blog. He's the manager, brand ambassador, and podcast host of the Uncrushed podcast. This guy is just an all-around great dude. He coaches sales reps, and he is an amazing seller himself. I want to welcome none other than James Say What Sales Buckley to the podcast. Welcome, James. That was great. That was great, man. Alex, that was like probably one of the better intros that I've got. I feel like I should have like a walk-up song or something. Like <laughs> When when I get some damn sponsors, I'll get a, a soundboard and I'll like play a ear horn, like wow, 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 you know. But um, that's you great. Do, you know, on the final version, you have a drum, us, uh, you know, intro. So I'll say that. That's great. So all the guests have listened to that. So James, I'm I'm I, man. So you know, I'm always interested to talk to coaches uh, on on this podcast, um, but I'm super interested to talk to you because. Um, you know, I, I really want people to uh, glean a little bit from your story and that, um, man, people think to be, um, you know, really accomplished, have a really uh, accomplished career and to, to get to the places, um, just some of the heights in sales, you, you need to, you know, it takes, it takes years of training. It takes, it takes uh, lots of study and, and sales is a profession that, you, know, you can kind of see some of the threads and 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 really latch onto it and 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 really grow quite rapidly, which I, I feel like you've done. But you started, I mean, you you say sometimes on podcasts where you literally started with nothing, like a, a whole new life and career and 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 boom yeah. fails. So um, my first question is, James, like, what has the profession of sales given you, and and what's it taught you about life and how you interact with others? So that's a great question to start off with. And I appreciate it very much. Um, I think that the most important thing that a career in sales has given me is a network of people that are truly invested and in my corner. Um, It's oftentimes we have people in our lives that are uh, fixtures. I like to call them, right? People that come around a lot, our best friends, our, our, our family members, sometimes our circle of friends. Uh, but in the sales world, what we have are 
business contacts. And because they're business contacts, yes, they also fall into this bucket of friend, family member, confidant, um, fellowship, right? They fall into all those buckets, but the one bucket that they hold that I think a lot of our immediate circles don't is an investment in our professional development and growth. And I think that's what sales has done for me is it's put a lot of people who are where I want to be in my view. And because of that, I've been able to connect with them and we have very similar interests and we're passionate about people and the same kind of like main vein of business and growth and sales and technology and how it all meshes together to make us better people in general. That's what sales provided for me was this network of individuals that have learned to harness that power and leverage that harmony between all those things to get the growth and development that they wanted out of life. And you know, to be frank with you, I think it also puts people in my community and my vision and my scope that want to be where I am. And I talk a lot about riding that fence between those two groups uh, pretty consistently and being able to always help people up to where I'm at and always reach up to get help to be where I want to be. And as long as I'm in between those two people, those two types of people, my whole life, I will always be learning and helping others. And isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that the game of life? Right. (laughs) So true. I mean, you know, I, I think um, like that's why I started this thing. Like it's just the last thing you say, like, you know, it's just the game, you know, learning and helping others. I mean, this is a profession where you do both. Like you have to do it both at a very high level all the time. And, and, they're in, in, and it's infinite. It doesn't ever, you're never become an expert or the best. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. There's <laughs> never going to be a moment where you're like, I'm all set. I've learned everything I need to learn about sales and marketing. It's never going to change. It's always going to be this way. That's yeah. never going to be true. It's always changing and evolving. It's like an amoeba. It never takes full shape, right? <laughs> I know. Um, and man, I just want to know, like, um, yeah, man, like, was there, like, was there something early on that kind of like maybe convinced you that maybe, yeah, like I can take what I've learned in my life, maybe some of the, yeah, situations or experiences where I've totally had to help me, where I've had to help others. And I could, and that, and that kind of a path, a lot of people might take that and maybe get into like the healthcare field or, you know, like mental health and stuff like that. How did you see that sales was an avenue to use some of those personal skills that maybe you developed or were taught in your life? Yeah. So I think my people skills were recognized really early. And I have this slide that I show people about my career path. Now, I'll admittedly, I was quite the job hopper in my younger days. So I picked and chose a couple of really good jobs I had at companies where I learned something about my people skills and about my sales, my sales abilities, if you will. Um, so I'll, I'll run through them now so that you can kind of understand there's only about six of them. So it's not overwhelming or time consuming. Uh, when I was 15, I became a bag boy at Publix and what that skill that developed from that job was that I only had about 25 to 30 seconds from the time I left the door to the time I got to their car to put their groceries in the trunk to build rapport enough to get a good tip. If I didn't say anything, how could I expect a good tip? I didn't entertain these people on the way to their car. I didn't like help them out much. I didn't provide any value. I didn't make them laugh. I probably wasn't going to get a good tip. Maybe you get a dollar, maybe two. But if I really gave it my effort, sometimes you get a five, sometimes you get a 10. So right away, 
I learned at 15 years old, like the more entertaining I can be for people and the more funny I can be and the more personable I am, the bigger my tips are. So that was what I learned at Publix at 15. Um, and then in my adult life, I joined a company called Winstead Marketing. Uh, they were like a third party sales firm for AT&T. This was door to door B2B. And this was my first experience as an adult in that world, right? I had some door-to-door -door experience as a younger guy, but none of it was, it was like, you know, the kid stuff, you know, selling light bulbs or selling, you know, wrapping paper and Christmas, like it was school things that you do, they turn them into little Amway people, you know? Uh, but at Winstead Marketing, we're, we're knocking on doors at businesses. We're walking in, we're starting conversations with owners and we're selling them phone lines through AT&T. Um, and what I learned about myself there was that I was really good at convincing people to buy from me. It, I didn't even really have to believe in what I was selling. I just needed them to agree that what I had was valuable. So I learned essentially to convince people that what I had was valuable, which I thought was really useful. Learned later that it wasn't quite as useful as I thought it was. <laughs> uh, and then fast forward, you know, a couple more years, I, I joined Orkin Pest Control uh, for a brief stint and that was door-to-door -door residential. Now I learned about an obstacle that I had uh, in this role. And that obstacle was that I am a very large man. And when you are knocking on doors and 87 year old women are opening the doors that weigh 105 pounds sopping wet, they're very hesitant to let you in or even open the door. So I had to be funny and charming and I had to be consistent. They needed to be see me often so that they were comfortable talking to me through the door enough to one day maybe open it, right? So I had to, I had to polish that skill off really fast there. Um, and then take a step back. I, I actually managed a Taco Bell for a while. And in the fast food world, uh, the level of disrespect you get from the people on the other side of the counter is absolutely epic. Uh, if you've never had someone throw a, a piece of food that you just made for them at you after you make it, what you learn about sales is dealing with complicated <laughs> and difficult clients in that role. And you have to do it with a smile on your face. <laughs> so fast forward another year or so, I joined Cirrus Insight, which was my intro into SaaS software as a service. Uh, and that's how I met John Barrows. Um, I was there for four years. That was circa 2015. Um, and then in 2019, I went to Ringlead. And this is where I became a brand ambassador for their data management, data governance platform, which is incredible. And I got to know what it was like to be like the face of this product, this organization. And this is where the value of content really suck, sunk into me. Uh, large, huge thanks to Grant Green, who really put a lot of effort into the content we were making together. Uh, and that is what led me to get the opportunity with who I'm with now, John Barrows. And man, if I had to cram everything that I've learned in the last year into one box, it would be the biggest box. I've, I've learned more about sales working under John and the rest of the team in the last year than I have in, in the last 10 years, I would say. Wow. You know, it's, it's wild, like that you can say that, you know, that like, you know, you could have so much experience, but you could learn so, so much in a short period of time. But, you know, I love those experiences because a lot of people wouldn't think like Publix bag boy is, has a skill that could serve you in sales. But when you see that, yeah, like I can, you know, there's, there's a return on this, like, emotional quality about me because it's immediate like you can see like if I don't if I just be quiet and say hey can I you know take your bags to your car you most likely might get you know nothing or maybe a pity dollar or something like that but like you can yeah. see the immediate 
reward when you connected with people and just tried to talk with them, right? Like that, that award yeah. was there. Yeah. You saw other things too. Like when you wear the Santa hat and you have to work on Christmas Eve and you're super happy to be there, people really appreciate that. And you get a 20 instead of a five, you know, that, Oh, Merry Christmas. You're like, Oh my gosh. I remember I came away one Christmas Eve. I was 15 years old and I worked Christmas Eve night and I came away with like 250 bucks in tips. And I was like, how's this possible? <laughs> this is insane. You're making me think I need to, like, they always ask you to, I find it interesting. They don't just automatically assume that everyone, you know, you're going to like go out with the bags. Like in Florida, they, you know, they ask yeah. me, do you like to you know, take your bags out? And my thought is like, no, I'm good. I, I'm just going to do it myself because I can. And, you know, I don't, you know, you, you think, oh, like, I'm going to have to tip this guy. But the guy's like, hey, man, I'd love to like help you out. Like, what's like, come on, like, there's a lot of bags here. You don't want to have to lug all them. You don't have to give me anything. I just want to help you out here. You know, I don't even think that's what I, I mean, like my pitch, my go-to was that I was always making them laugh while I was bagging their groceries. Like they weren't paying attention to the cash register, the cashier. Yeah. I was talking to them and putting yeah. their groceries in a bag and oh. they're invested. I don't ask. I just follow them out to the car, tell yeah. them stories, ask them where they're from. Are you new in town? I've never seen you here. You only have like 30 seconds, but you'd be amazed at what a quick laugh can do for somebody in that moment really pick up their day you know cool what do you think uh, you know so like is there a common thread that you can um like really take a, a look and pull at on all these different experiences because I, I guarantee you're probably even though your life changed so much from that bag boy to where you are today personally um and you've had like an amazing like just a, a wild story from that in that, that timeline of your life um what things stayed, what things maybe changed along the way for you in, in terms of like your um, personality and what? Yeah, I think I became stayed? much less selfish. I'll, I'll give it that. Um, you know, I, as you grow into the role of being a professional anything, uh, and it doesn't have to be sales, I feel like this applies across the board. I think we grow to a point where we realize it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's about how I interact with everything around me. And that relationship, that harmony, it's really important for our professional development and something I've kind of been echoing through all these podcasts I do and uh, even some, some internal stuff is like, we have to be willing to grow personally if we have an expectation of growth professionally because those two things are tied together. You can't grow professionally if you're unwilling to grow personally. Um, they say it's hard to fill a cup that's already full. Well, throughout my work career, I've never not been standing next to someone whose opinion I did not respect and who could not teach me something new that I didn't know yesterday. If that's always your mentality, growth is inevitable. It's a matter of what you do with it. So what's the theme, the main thread? I think my ability to realize I don't know everything, and in fact, I know very little, has always been the main thread for me. A lot of times I find myself telling prospects to educate me. Man, this is really interesting. I've, I've never been a part of this community. Can you tell me more? They love that. They want to just tell you everything that they know about their profession. They want to showcase their expertise. And all the while, I'm taking copious notes 
learning everything about what they do, how they do, why they do. And I use that in conversation as we move deals forward or as I introduce them to something they've never never seen, uh, put JB sales on demand learning in front of them, right? Like they they don't even know that's a thing. I'm like, oh, you know what? We've got this and this, this is really relevant to what you're saying. Anyway, keep going. I'm listening, right? You can drop that there and then you can just let them keep talking. They'll get back to it. They'll read it. They'll listen to it. They'll watch it. And then we'll continue the relationship because I'm listening, not because I'm selling. But selling, the selling only happens for a little while of the relationship. And then it, it's still a relationship. It, like that thing, that's the thing that stays is the, the actual relationship. The sale happens and then it's over. What happens afterwards? That's what's important to them and me. Yeah, totally. You know, I feel like um, that what you just described is, is are things that people are doing without realizing it um, because maybe they're not going for an end result like i.e. a sale like a, you know, a signature or money or anything. They're just, people are just drawn to them because there is no intention. They're just literally like going to people like, oh my gosh, I don't know any, like, tell me more about that opinion. They're not judging them. They're not coming to them with any kind of prejudgment or feeling like that they know anything. Like everyone says, like some of the key skill, soft skills is in, in sales is curiosity, but you know, that's, um, you know, it's such a broad term. I think, it, you know, it's, it's important for people to understand like how um, to like, how to really, um, you know, go about curiosity in a way that's genuine, you know, not just like, yeah, like, I'm curious about that. Like, you know, um, it's, 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 people can feel it. Like you actually, like you really, you actually do really want to know like I think what people feel is the pull towards the selfishness. We can all feel the pitch coming when it's about to come. Yeah. Right. We can all pick up the phone when somebody's calling us and our phone is like telemarketer, right? We're like, Oh shit, here we go. Right. We pick up the phone and we're like, let me have it. Like we expect that. Um, genuine curiosity is something that can be taught but somebody has to be willing to accept that it's something they need to work on. If they're unwilling to do that, you're going to have a problem with results. You're not going to have a problem with them doing the job. They're going to do the job over and over constantly because that's what you pay them to do. But if you're expecting results, they have to give a shit about what's on the other side of the phone. And I'll never forget those moments where you figure out, yep, I lost that one because I was too focused on the money. Yep, I lost that one because I went too soon for the, for the move to the next step. Yep, I lost that one because I sent the proposal too early or I made a comment that was probably not a great comment given the context of the conversation. You recognize those in 2020. Hindsight is 2020, right? You, you look back and you go, man, I probably could have I probably could have phrased that differently. I, I probably definitely lost that because of that comment I made on that one call. Uh, and you won't know until it's too late. So we don't learn until after the fact. You can't learn in advance. You have to learn when it happens. That's, I talk a lot about the veil of ignorance, right? We all make decisions based on our own experiences. So, you know, that has to be a focus for people as they move forward and grow in the profession, whatever their profession might be. Like if you can't look back at a conversation you had and say to yourself, did I do a good job there? If you always come away from these conversations going, I killed that. 
you're not learning right that's you're a different animal man <laughs> yeah, i love that yeah you have you know man i you know i i i wish i could have found out more information man there's got to be something i don't know yet that i could have figured yeah. out right like yeah you know. john talks a lot about creating genuine curiosity and whether or not it's something that can be taught I think it can, but I think the genuine nature of it has a timeline if you have to teach it. Some people are just genuinely curious people and they're really interested in the person. Once you're interested in the person, I feel like the conversation becomes much more organic and that curiosity can really blossom. But if you're more interested in the means to the end, it's gonna show through in the amount of genuine curiosity that you're showing. So it's a limited experience, that genuine curiosity, or it's, I'm genuinely curious, but only about the things that lead me down a path to this deal, right? Anything outside of that, I'm not curious about at all. That's selective, genuine curiosity. And I don't think it's as powerful. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like that, that first experience you had was so taught, you had to have taught you so much because when you're, you're literally just like starting conversations with people, like, you're just learning the art of conversation. You know, where are you from? I haven't seen you around here. You know, what do you, um, yeah. What's your name? What's your name was like, they would, they would look at me like I was an alien, Alex. Like, why do you want my name? Like we're walking together. What do you mean? Like high five, fist bump. Like, what's your name? I'm James, you know, like see it right here on my name tag. It's right there. (laughs) I love it. Like, you know, how are you doing today? You know, great. But like, you know, those, those are the things like you're, you're, when I always ask people, like, what do you like to, what, do, where does your mind go when people go, James, like, how are you doing today? You know, mm. some for think- me, honestly, I, I bypass it. My friend Lindsay Boggs and I just had this conversation. I bypass the first one. When somebody says, how are you doing? I'm programmed to be like, I'm great. How about you? Right? Like it's, it's like an immediate knee jerk reaction. It's a reflex. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they stop and ask again, and Lindsay does this really well, if they stop, and so does Richard Harris, my friend Richard Harris does this, but they'll stop and say, no, no, how are you? That's when, that's when the moment take you like, you take a breath and you're like, ah, it's good. Like, you know, challenging, but, and that's when the real answer comes. Everybody's fantastic. If I'm above ground, I'm fantastic. How are you? Right? Like it's this, it's this rhetorical question that has a rhetorical response with a rhetorical upward inflection that you don't even expect an answer from. But when you're like, no, slow down. How are you really? How are things personally? Are things okay at home? When you really ask that stuff, people tend to take a step back and really answer you. That I think is the difference between Uh, curiosity with a means to an end. Hi, how are you? I'm looking to bypass that. I'm hoping you do too. And then we can talk about the meat of this conversation that's centered on me versus no, stop. How are you really? Is like, oh, okay, we're going to do this. Let's have a real conversation. And then maybe we'll talk about work stuff. (laughs) I I love like trying to just throw some stuff out there and because I want people to know like, you know, what's going on in my life. And, you know, so like if someone asks me the question, I might, you know, go, yeah, man, uh, you know, yeah, bit, <laughs> funny thing over the weekend, this happened to me. It was really kind of interesting. Like, this is the story. Like, hey, my my wife uh, was in a Super Bowl pool and she beat out, you know, one out of eight, 800 men uh, to get to the end. And she, she won, wow. she won like 5,000. Is that true? 
It's a true story. It's a true wow, story. Wow, dude, is your wife, I have to ask, is your wife an accountant or a numbers person by chance? No, she just loves sports. And she was like, she made some amazing picks like during the season and she worked out a strategy. And she, she, at the end, she, um, she actually went um, like hard negotiator on this dude. Like, you know, it's, mm. it's kind of like a, it's kind of a good story and a bad story. Like she had Kansas city and this other guy had Tampa and you know, the, the, the guy uh, thought he was going to lose. So he offered her an even split and she's like, no, I'm not going to do an even split. It's either we go for all the marbles or, you know, we both, you know, get five grand now and then we play for the remaining seven. He's like, all right, I'm going to take it. So she ended up losing that bet. It didn't seem that that was a bad bet before the, before the Super Bowl, but um, you know, so, um, but she won the money in the end and that's, you know, how she wanted to go out. And, um, that's awesome. It was funny, but yeah. So like, I always like to kind of throw out, you know, to people some things about my life and, and maybe see what people like latch on to and, and, and then see what themselves, I, I'm curious, like just in your personal life, like, are there any things that you, you know, some people might consider like, you know, a, a quote unquote sale as in like, you know, things in your life changed because of a decision or um, uh, for how you made. And I know you have tons personally. So there's a lot that you've changed. You, you know, you had to have like changed things about yourself because of things that you either saw or things that influenced you um but yeah wondering if well, the things that you know you've you know you've done in your life that have um you know kind of helped influence people to make a certain decision or influenced you to make a certain decision and what were so let me be clear i, I try not to I'm tr i try not to guide people in a direction i think is the right direction I think more often what I'm tempted to do and what I often do is share my experience. And if I don't have an experience in that space, I'll say, I don't have a lot of personal experience in that space, but let me give you my initial thoughts. This is just where my mind is going, mm -hmm. right? And then I'll share my thoughts. But if I don't have the direct experience, I'm pretty quick to call that out. And you know, what, some of the decisions that I've made that have you know, caused me to feel this way and think this way, uh, I decided to go back to college as a non-traditional student and get a degree. You know, I mentioned my work history there. That's all the non-kitchen history right there. For 15 years, I worked in kitchens all over the United States, this, mostly the Southern United States, and I was a cook, right? Mm -hmm. And working mm -hmm. that kind of blue collar job teaches you a lot about the life you dream of that you're financially incapable of achieving right? Because cooks only get paid so much, especially cooks without college degrees. Would be different if I was an educated college degreed cook that had the opportunity to become a kitchen manager and maybe a VP one day at a big corporate chain. Fine, let's go that route. But you're looking at like a 40-year lifespan investment to get there, you know? I wanted success, but I wanted to do it in the smartest way and in an industry that I was passionate about. So going back to school and getting a degree wasn't about me becoming a sales professional. But what I did was I majored in writing communications, public relations, and then I minored in sociology. Well, think about how well all those things fit into the sales community, right? Yeah, I managed. There's that. a lot of correlations yeah. between all those things. So I landed in sales because I had some previous experience in it. 
And once I got there, I was able to apply all these amazing things I learned in college, not the least of which was how to learn something new. That's what I learned in college, how to learn stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, you build a great network there, which is how I ended up with the job in SAS. You know, people don't talk about it, but one of the best values you come away with from higher education is the network of people you get the opportunity to meet and do projects with and build relationships with because they all leave college and guess what they go get? Jobs. And those people can introduce you to their leadership who happen to be hiring for more jobs. <laughs> and that's how I got started in SAS. Uh, once I got in the door, I really fell in love with the process of outreach. Cold calling was like my favorite thing in the world, still is today. Um, improving my messaging gave me a chance to use all my writing skills. Then I started building a brand and you've seen what it's done for me since then. It's like a snowball effect. And I think it happened for me very naturally. And I think most people that have careers they're truly in love with will tell you that it happened very naturally. They don't tell you, well, I went to school to become an accountant and I became an accountant and I just absolutely love it. Most of the people that I know that are accountants are like, yep, I made a mistake. I went to school for accounting and became an accountant. Sure, the money's great, but I absolutely hate this job. <laughs> like, that's like, what are you talking? You want to like, spend like 75% of your life doing something you absolutely disdain. I wasn't, I wasn't excited about that opportunity. So I went back to school and I got the opportunity to get an education. And that was probably the, the biggest decision that I made. And to be even more honest with you, it wasn't even my decision. My wife put me in college and said that I would be great. And I did one semester and fell in love with it and decided to keep going. And that's how I ended up here. <laughs> I like your wife put you there. That's funny. <laughs> parents made me go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was 32. I thought there's no way this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> wow your first wow we're into college um man so okay let's talk about your professional career like you know throughout your sales career what do you think were um i mean like the things that the traditional let's say sales trainers didn't teach you that you kind of uh, almost like not not went rogue but like you kind of like we're just you and learned on your own. So like, if I said like that thing is yeah. unique to- Yeah, I would say, I would say the number one thing for that uh, would be using your personal brand and your content as a conduit for marketing and sales alignment. I think too many, I think too many marketing people try to stifle their sales reps, personal brands, for fear that they might misalign with the message that marketing is trying to deliver in their content. Or um, maybe they think, well, you know, if you say the wrong thing, then we have to make good on it on our end. And that could cost us on the business side. We want to make sure we're controlling the message. Um, you know, I, I don't like the, the background that you use is, is not a great background. You know, there's all these aesthetics that marketing people tend to want to put their fingers in. And you know what? That's great. Like, it's good that you want to help to control that message, but also help that sales rep build their brand because you're a marketer. Nobody knows more about that than you do at the company. And this person could be a great echo for the message that you're trying to get out to your audience with your marketing efforts. Why not invest there? I believe that uh, at Cirrus Insight specifically, I was uh, 
known for being the, the face of that organization at all these marketing events that we would go to, all these sales events, all these Salesforce events that we would go to. I was, it was me and my buddy, Zach, and we were always at the booth. We were known as the booth guys from Cirrus and people would come and they would hang out with us and we'd take selfies and, you know, take pictures and post them online, hashtag Cirrus Insight, right? Because of that, their community would see it and they would come at us. And him and I had the highest results every month, month over month, as a result of us just being out there and making these things happen at these events instead of what most marketing people do, which is, oh no, I want to go to the event. Well, isn't, is this a sales event? Like, are we looking to get leads and start new deals here? Uh, listen, we're on the marketing team and we should be at the event. That's not <laughs> what I asked you. What I said was, what's the goal of the event? Well, we want to scan as many people into our system as possible. Great. So you're going to stand at the booth and just wait for people to come by or like, what's that look like? And most of them are not salespeople. So they're, they're, you know, they're not as outgoing in most cases. Um, they don't understand that they have to walk away from the booth to actually go meet people. Nobody's just going to come and hang out with you. You need big personalities at these events. And that's, I think what I, what I really wanted to develop and what really pushed me forward was like, I have a really strong personality. So because of that, I need to find a profession that's supportive and I can be myself in. I would not be a good guy to sit in a cubicle quietly all day and never say anything to anybody and do like data entry. Like that's just not a thing for me. I would, that would, I would drive my colleagues and coworkers bananas, throwing things at them and making jokes, you know, like it would just be terrible. <laughs> so I needed that career to do that. And I had to decide on something that was going to be conducive. And because I had uh, sales experience in the past and I really got, I got a lot of enjoyment out of meeting new people all the time. And I had always been an outgoing personality. Uh, that career path seemed very inevitable for me. And once I got there, I knew I was home right away. Yeah. I mean, you're making me, you're making me reminisce about the days when we could go to sales conference and conferences <laughs> in booths. I feel like it's like, you know, like, or yeah. you remember listening to cassettes, like it was that long ago, like because 10 years ago, we're going to all be sitting around on a zoom call and somebody's going to be like, you guys used to like shake hands all the time. Yeah. Yeah. With like hundreds of people a day, that's bananas. Back in my day, these <laughs> yeah. we used know, to go to these and events, and stand at booths. What? What? <laughs> with cloths and big yeah. with unicorns and stuff. Like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Chach? What's a chachki? Yeah, um, swag. What is that? <laughs> but um, yeah, like man, I, 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 you know, I agree too. Like, um, I would go to so many conferences for my previous role and um. Yeah, you'd see people just kind of sitting there just like looking at their watches and people just do drive by and take their stuff and just walk right away. And like, you know, nobody's like engaging in conversation. Like you're the whole reason why you're there is like to, you know, get people to talk. So I was like bringing people to the booth. I was like, all right, I'm going to like I had a, I'd have a partner and be like, all right, just chill here. I'm going to go like kind of walk around and get people to come and, and talk to us. And we had our little, you know, computer there. We could do demos and you know, it was just I wrote like, a book. I wrote a book called Tip of the Spear, and I break down the 13 most common personalities that you see in in sales events. So I have great ones in there, like the 10 footer. The 10 footer stands way back from your booth and they look from a distance, but they never talk to you. And they stand there with their friends with their eyes, with their arms crossed, and they whisper things about your product with their hand over their mouth, right? Like, oh, oh, I can't let them see what I'm saying about the product, right? 
Uh, and then the swag grabber. These are people that have no intention of buying your stuff, but they're like, hey, how are you? And the, all the while they're like greeting you while they're like grabbing all the swag off your counter, like stuffing it in their bag. Yeah, thanks. No, I'll take your card. I'll definitely throw that away for you. And then they walk away, you know, like swag grabbers. I see them all the time. Uh, the other one is the loud talker. They get really close to you. Hey, how are you? It's super loud in here. Yeah, dude, you're super loud in here. Like, there's so many. <laughs> Isn't that weird, like, how those, like, created, they just, I don't know if they revealed who people are. They just, like, created these, like, monsters in, in human beings. Like, like you would never act like that in real life if we weren't at it. You would never just go up to be somebody and be like, hey, do you have, like, a, a $10 pen? you know can, yeah. I, can I borrow that all right thanks cool thanks see you later and walk away like yeah. so but yeah now that we're you in- said it you said it when you said you would never act like that in the real world people go to those shows like it's like they're stepping into this alternate universe where all social cues are irrelevant <laughs> and, I, and that's a weird you know okay so i want to segue that's a, like a, i feel that almost that culture is seeping into digital culture or social media culture in a way too where people like you know the the connect and pitch the you know messaging like they just connect and literally just you know just send you a link to their website or you know you know copy and paste something on your headline and then just like and, and they send you five different things it looks like you haven't responded to my last connection maybe you haven't seen it no, dude, like, you know, if I, if I was like, yeah, if I went to your door and knocked on your door every day and, and rang your doorbell every day yeah. and you knew it was me, you wouldn't say like, hey, you must not know that I'm ringing your doorbell. Like, yes, I do. I can see you, dude. Stop <laughs> ringing my doorbell. I don't know you. No, and I tell people all the time not to open with failed attempts to connect. What it does is it subconsciously signals to your prospect, oh, I've been ignoring you. I'm just going to keep doing that. <laughs> so, so I guess where I'm, okay. Um, advice for, you know, I, I'm going to take, yeah, I'd love to get your question uh, answer to this because I, I like to break down, you know, people that are um, veterans in sales, they've been doing it for 20 years. Like, how could they be curious with themselves about, you know, doing what they do a little bit differently? And the same thing sure. for the non-sales person, the person that's like, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a whatever. Um, and I've never really been trained in sales. James, how could a Publix baggage guy, bag guy, you know, have a career in it and do well in it? What are some things I should be curious about and thinking about if I wanted to excel at it? Yeah. So for the 20, 25 years sales veteran out there, I hate to tell you this, but you're old and you're behind the times. And there are thousands of young people out there that are using great new tactics and technologies and processes and approaches that you've never used before. And your network is 10 times the size of theirs because of your experience level. So you should be learning from these younger people and implementing the things that they're doing because those new tactics could be quite useful on your older network. Uh, things that make you stand out has always been the goal of salespeople. Well, if you've been doing the same things for 20 and 25 years, maybe it's time you tried something new. So recognize that 
and start talking to the younger sales reps on your team. Sure, they might not perform as well as you do, but isn't that why you'd be talking to them? Learn from them, help them learn from you. Everybody grows. That's the goal. Uh, and for the new people out there that are bagging groceries or nursing or doctoring, um, you know, telemedicine is really big right now. There's a lot of people that are turning to technology for their medical advice, uh, for their prescriptions, for their doctor selection, for lots of different reasons. Um, and also for the bagging groceries guy, you know, stay, stay hungry to learn and grow and realize that it doesn't happen overnight and be patient about it and recognize an opportunity when it comes your way. Those are probably my pieces of advice for both of those people. I think young reps get into a mentality. I, so, so let's back up. I think the number one reason young people take a sales job is because they need something monetary. They need money. They need to pay rent. They have to buy their mortgage. They want to ask their wife to marry their girlfriend to marry them. Right. So they need a ring. I need money for that. So we take the job. Maybe they're right out of college. Maybe they have no college, but what they do is they jump in and they're like, Oh my gosh, I got this job for $30,000 a year plus commission. This is the most money I've ever made in my life. I'm set. This is great. Six months later, you talk to that same rep and they're like, if I'm not promoted by the end of the year, I'm going to quit. And you're like, whoa, what happened to six month ago guy that was so grateful to have a job? Like, where did that guy go? But it's because they get complacent, they get comfortable, they get really happy with the money they're getting and they want more out of it. They want the growth part of it. Slow down, y'all. It takes a year just to get consistent results when you become a sales professional or when you're becoming a sales professional. My friend Larry Levine is great about pointing out the difference between sales reps and sales professionals. Sales reps go through the motions, send blanket templated emails, play the numbers game. They cold call a million people a day because they think somehow that's gonna impact results, right? And it, it doesn't most of the time. Sales professionals take their time, research their prospects, the companies, find talking points. They have organized processes that yield organized results that they can usually predict. That's the difference between a sales rep and a sales professional. The sales professional cares. They give a rip, as it says in Selling from the Heart. They give a rip about the prospect and what they're selling to them, what they're providing for them versus a sales rep who doesn't care about those things. They're after the closed one opportunity because that's what they get paid for. You know, what happens after that is completely irrelevant to them. This is why most SDRs set up incredible meetings for qualified prospects and then never talk to them again, which I think is bananas. Like, how does that happen? You know, oh, I got what I want from you. I'm all set now. Uh, and then the older reps, the older reps, they play the volume game because that's a generational gap that's in our space right? When they were in their prime selling 20 years ago, this technology that we have that connects us all wasn't very popular. So it was a numbers game. The more doors you knock on, the more conversations you can have, the more sales you make. That's not rocket science. That's the law of averages. Now we live in this interconnected world where it can be really thoughtful, quite personalized. There are no scripts anymore, man. You can have a script, but if you sound scripted, you're probably failing. Yeah. So there's a generational gap that I don't think we're paying enough attention to in our space. And one side of that spectrum is like, these youngsters can't teach me anything. 
I've been in this game for 20 years. What do they know? And on the other side of that spectrum, you've got young people going, this guy's way out of date, right? Like, geez, <laughs> he's carrying a briefcase, yo. Like that's the way that they think. We need to come together in the middle there. Yeah. And veterans need to admit that they can learn from young people. Young people need to admit there's so much to learn from the older generation when it comes to skills and time management and priority management and working towards a goal, setting attainable goals, right? These guys have been down this road for years. You just started six months ago, man. Shut your mouth and learn something from these guys, right? And the vice versa, go to the young guys and be like, hey, I saw you send a video to this, this person. How'd you do that? Start doing it. It makes a difference. I had a guy that was probably in his 60s send me a video the other day. We were on a call 10 minutes later. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Final, before my final fun question, uh, if, if I had to put you on the spot, like one personal quality or personal characteristic that is universal <laughs> in all human beings who are yeah. effective at selling, um, yeah. no matter if they are trained in the profession or not, what would you go with and, and briefly? It's, it's kindness. It's kindness. It's 100% kindness. Salespeople that are really good at being kind to others get a lot of great results because they're kind about it, because they're usually not pushy, and because people like to when other people are nice to them. Everybody, nobody comes away like that guy was a jerk. I can't wait to talk to him again. <laughs> people think that that's like um. Some people, uh, I can I can already hear the naysayers that are like. Yeah, you know, but like, and in the end, it's all about value. And, you know, if, 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 if your product can't help another person, doesn't matter if you're the nice guy and like you, you're a best yeah. friend, like that's not going to win you the sale. It's value over everything. And all those things are true. That yeah. doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I yeah. totally agree because, you know, you can't get around the relationship. It is there to human beings spending time together, we tend to go with people that are, we have a good time around and that are like just worth our time and that are, we, we, we feel good afterwards, our experience, like we can look and go like, huh, I'd do that again, like with him. Well, it's like, a personality actually, type thing too. Yeah, absolutely. If you think about it, we, we all gravitate towards certain personality types and we all can't stand other personality types. The job in sales is to find the former and let the latter go. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, w with kindness in, in that word is, is thoughtfulness too. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, when you're, when you're kind with, with someone, um, they feel it's an emotional feeling of this person has a deep concern for, for, for me. And, uh, and it shows, and, uh, you know, I want to, I want to listen to somebody that is willing to like help me or listen to me in that way. So. Yeah. We want to talk to people that give a shit. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Man, I could talk with you a while, James. This is a fun question about you because, um, you know, I like to leave with just people just knowing a little bit about you and the uh, human being that you are, because I think, you know, kind of connecting all of it is like we connect to people that, um, 
you know, because they are so unique. And so it's just a personal question about you. And so it's like, it's this, it's what is something, if you had to look at your life, what is something that could only or would only happen to James Buckley? And another way to think of it is like, if somebody asked your wife, man, that thing that happened to James in his life or that quirky trait is just only something that one person in the world would do or happen to. And that is, that one thing is, is totally James. Yeah. Um, well, well, like I mentioned in my earlier comment, I have a very big personality. It's magnetic. It draws people to me. Um, I like to perform. I am a performer at heart. And because of that, my wife and I will be walking into public places or parties or family gatherings or events. And she'll say, if we could not have episodes of the James show at this for a minute, that would be fantastic. And what that means to me is please don't end up on stage with everyone listening to you. <laughs> so that's the characteristic and it's uh, it's probably a strength and a character flaw at the same time. <laughs> I uh, used to be the same, like, you know, I'm the guy like, if, if pushed him to shove and there's a great song on the dance, like playing in a, in a party or a club or whatever, and people are dancing, there may be a circle of people that get around and I'm in the middle of it and I'm, you know, having a great time and, and pulling other people into the circle to uh, dance with me. So sometimes it could be. Same fun. here, man. I, I have a hard time not being the focal point of a group. A even in company calls, I'll have like 10,000 jokes that hit the tip of my tongue. And I have to like physically restrain myself with my hand over my mouth to not let this joke fly in this company call. <laughs> I, I've, I've, as I've grown up, I'm, I'm like, okay, you know, yeah, just kind of pick your, you know, times, you know, it doesn't, uh, you don't want people, it, it, it's a risk uh, to, to be seen as like, this person is just all about himself and wants to be the life of the party. But um, I love it. It's, you, you, uh, you still want to, you know, be around those people because they're interesting too. Um, so. They're fun. They're fun. Yeah, they're fun. James, I've had a lot of fun with you, man. Where can people find you afterwards, connect with you? Um, yeah, so check us out uh, at ondemand.jbarrows.com. Uh, that is our training platform. It's all of our courses, me, John, Morgan J. Ingram, soon to be Meg Hulsinger, and Leslie Douglas as well. Uh, Richard Harris is in there as well. You can also email me, james at jbarrows.com, or cold call me. I love a cold call, 305-632-6005. I will warn you if you cold call me and cold pitch me immediately, I will probably criticize your approach and try to coach you to cold call better. So <laughs> there's that precursor there. But if you want the critique, by all means, call me. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> not, with my own stuff, not to sell you anything, but you know, who knows? I love it. James, yeah. James Buckley, thank you so very much for being on today. I just had a blaster from my man. I appreciate it, dude. Thanks for having me. We'll do it again sometimes. Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly Tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. 
all my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human. Thank you.